All right, I want to invite you to take your Bible to the book of Mark. I want to thank the Central Baptist Church for your hospitality, letting us crash your Sunday evening service uh, tonight with our young people as we're on our way to camp. Uh, What a blessing it is to get to come to a church hundreds of miles away from your hometown. They're singing the same hymns you're singing, preaching out of the same Bible you're preaching out, and, uh, and sharing the same message that you're preaching. Amen? And what a blessing that is. Certainly thankful for Pastor Andrews and his ministry to me as a, as a young pastor. And certainly thankful for all the encouragement he's been to me. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you that are here. Well, I want to share a message with you tonight that I believe everyone needs to hear. You say, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that every time you preach. No, really. I believe everyone here and everyone in the world needs to hear this message Because at some time or another in your life, you are going to be brought to the place where you don't know what to say. And I want to help you tonight. Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. Pastor, do you stand for reading the Bible? All right, we do too. Uh, So if you would please stand for the reading and reverence of God's word. Mark chapter number 9. We'll look at verse number 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that standeth here which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. For he, read it with me if you will, wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. Verse 7, and there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. Let's look back at verse number 6 tonight. And he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather with your people, to be able to open your precious word, and to be able to sing hymns about you. I pray, Lord, as we preach the word tonight, Father, through the Spirit, you would convey the message that's needed. I pray, Father, that you'd hide me behind the cross of Calvary, empty me of myself, fill me with your spirit, with that fresh anointing that I need from on high. And I pray for those that are here tonight, maybe in a season of life when they just don't know what to say, that, Lord, you give some instructions tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please be seated. Well, we see here from the text that Jesus is going to foretell his death. He's up there on the mountain. And before we even got to this point, we find in Mark chapter number 8, verse number 31, that Peter is going to, with faith, claim that 
uh, this was the Christ. And then eventually uh, he would, uh, we know later, betray Christ. But this would happen immediately after that strong confession was made by Peter. Peter would say the Son of Man, or excuse me, Jesus would say the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and he's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, and he's going to rise again. And of course, if you read that scripture, you would know that Peter stood up and he said, no, no, that's not the way it's going to be. You're not going to do that. I'm not going to let that happen. And, and Jesus stopped him and he said, Peter, you're not savoring the things of God. See, sometimes when we think about the things of God, we want to add in all of the good things and all of the mountaintop experiences and all of those moments when we can look back and, and say, wow, God manifests himself in that place. But my friend, listen to me, without the, uh, without the valley, the mountain is without purpose. Because God brings us to those mountaintop experiences because he knows that we're going to have to go through the valley and we're going to have to help someone else. Well, we find Jesus brings them up to this mountain and he begins to talk with them. And, and we know from another account that they fall asleep. While they're asleep, most likely Elijah and Moses appear. And they begin to talk with Christ about his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, during this time, the Bible says he is transfigured, he has changed. Basically, what had happened was he allowed them to see in the spiritual realm the glory that was veiled in flesh. Can you imagine what it must have been like that day on top of that mountain, seeing Jesus, not only seeing him, but seeing him glorified, and not only seeing him glorified, but seeing him as he talks about the future with two people of the past. Wow, what a day. I mean, a banner day. We talk about a mountaintop experience. I don't think it would get better than that. As a matter of fact, you roll on over to where Peter is writing his letter to the churches, and he's going to, out of all the miracles that he could cite, he cites this one and says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I mean, I'm talking about a banner day. He became a servant so you could reign with him. He became lowly so you could be exalted. He became a sacrifice so you could be forgiven. And so Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain. They stood with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And we see uh, this picture of the law and prophets meeting with Christ, the, who they foreshadowed. And, and now all this is being, being done. And I don't know about you, what emotion you would describe, how you would have felt. But I can tell you what the disciples felt that day. And it was fear. And they came to the place on the mountaintop, on the place where God had put them, where they didn't know what to say. Before we unpack this text, I want you to understand this. This was a place that God had led them. This is not a place that they happened upon. This is not a place that they accidentally found. No, God led them up the mountain. It was no accident that God brought them here. It was no surprise to God that this happened for a specific time, for a specific purpose. See, God doesn't physically lead you and I up mountaintops as he does Peter. I don't believe any of you tomorrow morning will take Jesus by the hand and go up on top of a mountain and watch him be transfigured. But my friend, I can tell you from experience that there are moments in your life when you see the majesty of Jesus Christ radiating through a place, a time, an event. 
It could be in your morning Bible reading when you open it up and God speaks to you about a certain thing that's going on in your life. Or maybe you've been praying for a certain direction and God reveals the direction that you're supposed to go to. Or maybe it's a regular Sunday service and the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart and you fall down at the altar and cry out to Him. Or, or maybe it's that moment when you're at camp or junior camp or maybe vacation Bible school or whatever you're going through. And, and you find your place where you see the majesty of God and you don't know what to say so what do you do what do you do when you don't know what to say what do you do when you don't know what to say well let's look at what Peter does and find out a little bit of what not to do and a little bit of what to do as we read here moments ago, we find Peter is there on top of the mountain. Luke's gospel is going to tell us that they were heavy in sleep. Now I want you to picture with me the ministry of the disciples tonight as they were following Jesus from village to village, from city to city, from place to place, from situation to situation, from maniac to maniac, and things are going on. They're always happening. They're always buzzing, much like they probably are at Central Baptist Church. Something's always going on. And it's a busy time in their ministry and they're going out and they find themselves in this occasion where Christ would normally go to a mountain. And what did Christ do when he normally went to the mountain? Do you remember what he normally does? He goes to pray. He goes to get apart to pray. And so this was no, no weird thing for them. This was something that was going to happen numerous times throughout the ministry of Christ. They were to go on top of a mountain and he was going to be a part and pray. And maybe this was one of the only times that he took them with them. We're not told. But we do find that when they get there, their eyes become heavy. My question to you tonight is this. What does God have to do to wake us up? You get on the mountain and he's being transfigured. What's he got to do to wake you up? You get on the mountain and Moses and Elijah are there and they're talking. What's he got to do to wake you up? And so many times I see, and, and even in my life, I see God's glory. It passes by and I don't even recognize it until days and weeks and months later. And I'm like, hey, that was the Lord showing up and that was God working. And, and that was the Spirit of God manifesting himself and I totally missed it. And I believe that's what happened to Peter. What's it going to take to wake us up? See, God brings these mountain experiences in our lives. And God allows us to peer into His glory, into His peace, into His contentment, into His righteousness, into His holiness. But we're too busy analyzing what all this means to get busy doing what's expected of us to do. See, we're told from the previous chapter, and even after this account, Peter in his mind is sitting here wandering and rolling over, mulling over what Christ could mean by the resurrection. Hey, maybe Christ meant exactly what he said, that he was going to rise from the dead. If Peter had used less brain power to contemplate the resurrection, maybe he would have rested, been rested up to see the glory of God on the top of the mountain. Some of us are so busy overthinking it. Some of us are so busy trying to manipulate and trying to deceive and trying to conceive in our mind something that's not there. Listen to me carefully. If you would just take God at his word 
and wake up, you could see what God was doing. Listen to me, the choirs, choirs across America don't sound like this. Now, I'm not belittling the work that, that the director has done to put into that, but my friend, that's a spiritual work. Hey, churches don't get built uh, by people just asking a whole bunch of questions. Listen to me carefully. This is not something that you see in all parts of America. This is a special thing. Do you see the glory of God here at your church? Do you show up on Wednesday night? Do you show up on Sunday morning and Sunday night? Are you faithful? What's this going to take to wake you up? Sometimes God brings us to a place, causes us to wake up. But unfortunately, you've already missed part of what happened. We're not told what Peter missed. We're not told what Peter, what Peter saw. We are told that he saw the transfiguration. And then he started opening his mouth. Because he didn't know what to say. When you don't know what to say, number one, wake up and look around you. Number two, when you don't know what to say, worship. See, Peter had the right idea, man. When he woke up, he saw Elijah. He saw Moses. They were talking to Jesus. And he's like, man, this is great. And I want to be in this place. And I want to make sure that I can uh, remember this occasion. And so, hey, Jesus, let's, i got an idea. Let's build up a tabernacle for Elijah and a tabernacle for Moses and one for you. And, and we'll just stay here and worship a little while. Is it wrong to worship? No, that's a good thing to do. But what are you worshiping? See, and I feel like Peter, he had the right idea of worshiping. He had the right idea of what needed to be done, but he didn't have the singular focus on who was to be worshipped. When he woke up, he didn't know what to say, so he just started talking. You know, us men, we can relate, amen? It's Father's Day, I am one, I can say this. We don't know what's going on, we, we don't know what to say, so we just start making stuff up as we go. You wake up one morning, the wife isn't happy. You start processing in your mind, is it her anniversary? Did I forget? Maybe it's her birthday. Oh, maybe it's something that I did wrong. So we settle on killing multiple birds with just one sentence, and we say, hey, beautiful, I was thinking about our anniversary this morning, wanted to know that I'm sorry for all the boneheaded things I've done in the past 15 years. Wow, have I told you how young you look lately? You just get more beautiful as the years go by. Would you like to go eat? We kill all those birds with one stone, right? But it doesn't work. They see right through it. Well, Peter says, wow, this is a great place. Let's just make these three worship centers. Let's worship the law. Let's worship the prophets. Let's worship the Christ. And, and we can all be happy here. See, Peter's heart was in the right place because he saw the need for worship. But this worship was only outward and physical. He wanted to worship the actual place. He wanted to worship the people. He didn't want to worship the Christ. And when you and I watch God's glory show up, and maybe we're not spiritually asleep, and maybe we'll just wake up and, and we'll see some things. But you know what? If we're not careful, we'll start to worship the event. We'll start to worship the place. We'll start to worship the tradition. We'll start to worship the, uh, the act or the right instead of the Savior. And when he got there, he said, man, let's make an altar for, or a tabernacle for Moses. Let's go ahead and worship him. See, moments in our life when God leads us to places which cause us to be speechless, 
we should be careful not to worship the moment. We should be careful to wor- worship the God of the moment. Roger Babson was an American historian, and he was visiting the president of Argentina. It was about 100 years ago when the president said, you're a student of history, will you please tell me why it is that South America, with her unlimited resources and having been settled earlier than North America, has nevertheless made much slower progress in civilization and material prosperity. Mr. Babson threw the question back upon the president saying, Mr. President, you evidently have studied this question yourself, and I would be interested to know your answer to it. And by the way, if kids, if you don't know the answer to something, just ask another question. It'll prolong the inevitable, okay? Anyway, the president replied that he thought the explanation lied in, laid in the fact that South America was settled by the Spaniards who came seeking for gold, while North America was settled by the Pilgrim Fathers who came seeking for God. Listen to me carefully. You're never going to get where you want to go in life as long as you're seeking the material, the moment, the right, the tradition. But as soon as you let go of those things and you start seeking God, Jesus Christ and His righteousness and His holiness and His purity, then my friend, you'll get to the place where you want to be. I've been guilty in the past of taking a conference, taking a meeting, taking an era taking a facility, taking a tradition and saying, man, I just wish we could go back to that place. But my question then is, is the God that I serve not the same God that was God in that place? It was God in that era. He was God in that tradition. No, you and I can serve God right where we are. I want to say, number one, We need to wake up. Number two, we need to worship. Number three, we need to walk. If you look down at the passage of Scripture there that we read moments ago, you're going to find that in verse number nine it says, and as they came down from the mountain. In this scenario, God allowed this good thing to leave Peter speechless. But what, what about the times that he leaves you speechless in the valleys? Health conditions, natural disasters, accidents, financial reversals, legal troubles, marital issues. Listen to me carefully. I don't believe that God desires for those situations to define you but he absolutely allows those things into your life to cause you to wake up, to cause you to worship, and to cause you to walk for him. God didn't leave the disciples on the mountain. See, the purpose of the mountain is so that you and I can gain the knowledge so that we can take the information to the valley where we learn to practice and perform and live out those things that we learned up there. That mountain experience where Jesus was transfigured before them. That mountain experience where the law and the prophets attested to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was supposed to be the fuel to take uh, these disciples down to preach the gospel to their communities. It was supposed to be the very essence of their ministry. But my friend, they missed it because they were sleeping. They missed it uh, because they were worshiping the moment and not the master of the moment. And they were too busy, settled, and sitting rather than walking. 
walking, and it took Jesus and our Heavenly Father to say, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. The multitude didn't go up the mountain that day because what was happening on the mountain wasn't for the multitude to see. The multitude needed to see the three come down who had been changed by the mountain. It was the summer of 2018. My family and I serving the First Baptist Church of Cottondale in Paradise, Texas. We had just come off of vacation Bible school. It's rolling early fall, sometimes September-ish. It was a rural church ministry. I think the population was like 2,000 in the city limits. It was outside of Dallas-Fort Worth. It was a beautiful summer day. One of the members of our church had invited us to their house. And it was at that house where they had farm animals and they had a pond with some fish in it. And they were just wanting to bring people to enjoy the day. They had some, they were cooking, making, making everything real nice for everyone. But little did I know it was a day that would leave me speechless. We arrived sometime around 9 or 10, enjoyed the farm animals, caught some fish. The pastor's name was Pastor Pugh and his wife Tina were there. About 45 other members from the church were there and they were fixing their plates. And, and my phone rang. And I thought, wow, well, everybody I know from Texas is right here. What in the world's going on? It was a number from San Antonio, which was a far piece from where we were. And so I ignored it, thinking that it was just some type of a telemarketer call. And I went back to fixing my plate, and they called again. I ignored it again. They called again. I said, wow, somebody's really trying to get a hold of me. So I stepped out of line and answered the phone. Mr. Ralph, this is Texas Highway Patrol. And we were wondering if you'd be around the house or the church for us to come by and speak to you. No, sir, I'm not around the house or the church. Could I set up an appointment with you? He said, no, it's pretty urgent that we speak to you. Do you know the address of where you're at? We'll come to you. I said, I'm honest with you. I don't know the address. In just a few moments, they said, well, we've been to the house, and no one's there, and you're the only one who we can find their phone number, so we'll just go ahead and tell you. And I think they said at like 10.03, there was an accident, Jacksboro Highway, and the man in our church had passed away from an accident. I was a youth director. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't ready to deal with something like that. It was our secretary's husband. My pastor and his wife were across the table from where I was fixing my plate. And they noticed that I was on the phone. And, you know, pastors have antennas. And so if you have something going on in your life, do your best not to come in till right time for preaching. Because we know, we know you got something going on. And so pastor was looking at me kind of funny and he was trying to find out what was going on. This man was probably our pastor's best friend. They had taken vacations together. They had done things together. He was an airplane mechanic. He had just changed jobs so that he could be at church more often. He and I had worked vacation Bible school just a couple weeks ago together. <clears throat> 
How do you tell a man that his best friend died? You see, I had wasted my mountain. I wasted it. And I was, on, I was the one on the mountain sleeping. You say, well, you were a youth pastor. I know I was a youth pastor, but I was sleeping on the mountain. I was walking, I was watching God in His glory pass by, and I didn't even take note of it because I was so carnal in my thoughts. When it got time to get up to worship, I, I woke up and, and I was worshiping the moment and the place and the thing, and I wasn't worshiping Him. And so when it came to time to walk down the mountain, I wasn't ready. And I share all of this with you tonight so that you can be ready. Because my friend, whether on the mountain or the valley, there will be moments in your life when you are left speechless and you don't know what to say. My question is, what are you going to do? We all have these times. Either because we recognize God has been so good to us or when we're walking through a deep, dark valley. But tonight, could we take a moment to make up our mind to wake up, to worship, and to walk? Because he's coming soon. And we don't know what we'll have to go through before he comes. And so you better be paying attention when he's teaching class on top of the mountain. I want to read a psalm and then we'll close. Psalm 34, verse number 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And this was our secretary's life verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and they were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Are you on the mountain tonight? Are you willing to wake up to worship and then get busy walking? Or maybe you're in the middle of the valley and you're right now recognizing I wasn't paying attention on the mountain because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of opening your word tonight. Father, would you go before us as we prepare our hearts for a time of invitation. In Jesus' name.